0: Hey, friends, welcome to this special Christmas episode of The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. I'm Gwen DeSelm. I'm your host for this podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and then put into practice. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the Executive Director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Today, we're going to wrap up our series called Fear Not by looking at three characters in the Christmas narrative and what they can teach us about overcoming our fear. Here's Dave.
1: We're going to end where we began with three Christmas texts, which I found to be quite remarkable. I've read through these texts for decades, but never before have I seen the consistency of the phrase, whether to Mary, to Joseph, or to the shepherds, fear not. Don't be afraid. For example, taking a look at the abbreviated portion of these on the screen, this is out of Luke 1, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Fear not. Don't be afraid. The second one is found in Matthew 1. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. One more. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And what's striking to me is that in all three of these texts, texts of promise and hope, there is the message, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Which says to me that in the midst of promise and hope, there will be a real temptation to give in to fear. So here's the question How did Mary, how did Joseph, and how did the shepherds deal with their fear? And if we can learn from them, indeed, I'm going to ask you to do your best to identify this morning with one of those characters, notwithstanding your gender, with either Mary or Joseph or the shepherds. What fear did they face? And how did they step beyond it? And what did they gain by doing so? All right? So that's your assignment. And hopefully you'll find yourself in one of the three. Let's consider Mary first. Have you found Luke 1? Let me read the extended version of this right now. Verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, pause right there. Elizabeth was Mary's kinsman, like an aunt or something like that. Elizabeth was much, much older. Elizabeth, in fact, was beyond the capacity to bear children. She became the mother of John the Baptist, who would be Jesus' cousin. She's already six months pregnant, and her miracle is that she should never have been able to have a child at her age. Back the text. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. Mary was probably no older than 14 or 15 at this time. Girls married very young. And it says she was betrothed to jo- to, uh, to Joseph. What's that mean? Well, in that day and age... Couples, when often the men were much older, they would get engaged. At that time, it triggered the the man able to now add on to his house, make room for his wife. The betrothal lasted a year. So they were engaged, but they weren't living together, and they had been sexually pure. And now she discovers, by virtue of the angelic announcement, you're going to have a baby. And the Holy Spirit is the father. Now, think to yourself as Mary got this word. Think of what we, we read this so easily, don't we? A virgin will conceive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've taken biology, all right? A virgin will conceive and give birth. Can you imagine what Mary must have thought? How to explain this to mom and dad? You know, an angel told me. How do you explain it to Joseph? How do you explain it to the people in the town? This woman had all kinds of challenges coming her way. She was going to be a mother at 14. She was going to be the mother of the Son of God. All kinds of questions may have come her way. All kinds of fears may have arisen. But I summarize it under this phrase, which you may want to make note of. For Mary, I think her fear was, it's too big for me. This is too big for me. I can't do this. It's too big. What an assignment she was given. She had every human reason to take a pass on this. She was young, she was inexperienced, she wasn't well connected, she wasn't well resourced. She could easily have said, "Can't do it. I can't do this. It's too big to me for me." Here's the deal. You are not going to lack for merry moments in the next year. And you're going to find those occasions in your life when God's going to ask you to do something as his disciple. And fear is going to say, this is too big for you. This is too big for you. You're going to find yourself tempted to say, I can't do it. For example, God may in fact be challenging you to take the first steps toward restoring a broken relationship. And your first thought is, that's too big. Can't do it. He may be asking you to take a good hard look about your current job and to consider launching out into some other area. Your first thought is fear. It's too big. He may be challenging you to forgive that offender in your past. He may be asking you to step into a new ministry. He may be asking you to stop doing something. I'm going to ask you to stop living with your boyfriend and stop living with your girlfriend. And I know that you're afraid you'll lose them, or I know that's going to make things really shaky financially, but I'm going to ask you to stop doing that. And your first thought is, can't do it. That's too big for me. He may be asking you to give up a behavior, a practice, a habit. You know he's been asking to do this. Your first thought is, it's too big for me. That habit has had me for years. That practice has been going on for a long time. I do it in the shadows where no one knows. God says, I'm going to ask you to deal with that. It's too big for me. I can't do it your merry moment. Fear warns us of all the bad things that could happen. Fear tells us that nothing could ever make a difference. But God says, maybe I'm just going to be enough for you. God says, through Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you're going to have your merry moments. And maybe as you sit here today, you can identify with her. Or maybe identify with the second character. His name is Joseph and his story is told in Matthew chapter 1. So now holding a finger here in Luke, slide back to Matthew chapter 1. Let me read you verses 18 to 25 in Matthew 1. Have you found it? Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph was a skilled laborer with a solid business. We typically say Joseph was a carpenter, but the Greek word tekton doesn't necessarily mean that he worked in wood. We often will say that. He was probably a skilled laborer in multiple materials, limestone, rock, lumber. Joseph was a skilled laborer. He was not only skilled, he had a solid reputation in the town at that time. Did you see that line that said he was a righteous man? Interesting word in the original language. You can see it there. Let's say the word "sadiq." Let me hear you say "sadiq." So Joseph was a righteous man. He was a sadiq. That's a, one who has achieved especially outstanding piety and holiness. His reputation was such whether it was in the marketplace or the synagogue or the village at large. That's a righteous man. He's a good man. He follows the Lord. He's a sadiq. Can you begin to see the plot thickening here? Joseph is a righteous man, which means that when it says here that uh, Mary came to him, I think here was Joseph's fear. Let's, let's, Let's write that down. Joseph's fear was this. What will people think? What will people think? Do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. What will people think if I do? It says Mary was found to be pregnant. In verse 18, it's like, how was she found? Was she found to be pregnant because she told Joseph? Was she found to be pregnant because her parents discovered? Was she found to be pregnant because the town gossips said it? She's pregnant. And how do you explain the fact that you've still been faithful? You're still a virgin. And how does Joseph deal with this? Notice the phrase where it said he was going to divorce her quietly. When you were betrothed, though you had not yet come together under the same roof, nor had you come together physically, the only way to break the betrothal is through an official divorce. So he was going to divorce her, but he was going to do so quietly because he did not want to further hurt her reputation but what was going to happen to his? Can you imagine the tongues wagging in Nazareth? Joseph, Mary, the righteous Zadik, Mary's someone who's pregnant and he doesn't even have the good sense to recognize that she has betrayed him. Joseph faced the question that many of you are facing as well. In your attempt to follow the Lord, you are going to have to make some hard decisions and people aren't going to understand and tongues are going to wag and you're going to find yourself haunted by the fear. What will people think? What will people think if I do this? What will people think? Maybe, maybe it's what we've been talking about with welcoming the stranger the idea of daring to embrace those refu- refugees and immigrants that everybody else is dismissing and marginalizing. What would it be if you were the one who welcomed them? But here's the thing: what are people going to think? What will they say about you? Some of you young people are in school, and you know as well as I do, there are folks who sit in the lunchroom all by themselves. There are those who walk the halls all by themselves. Why? Because they're the outcast, they're the misfit and maybe just maybe the lord is saying as a disciple of jesus who loved those in the margins what would it be like if you'd have lunch with them if you'd walk with them but if you do you know your reputation's going to what tank what will people think if you become their friend if you walk with them it could be any number of things what if i stop partying with my friends what if i stop going to the clubs What if I stop gossip? What if I stop spending money like water just to keep up with the Joneses? What will people think if I start living differently as a disciple? What will people think if we don't engage in every activity that comes down the pike? What will people think if my family starts living more simply so that others might simply live? What will people think? Joseph's fear is embraced by a lot of folks as they try to grapple with their discipleship. The fear of loss of reputation in the eyes of others. Here's the thing. Joseph, I don't think, measured that as highly as being in the eyes of God. Take Mary to be your wife. Yes, sir. What will people think? I don't care. I don't care.
0: You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will be back in just a moment with the rest of his message. If you're enjoying this podcast and you haven't done so yet, please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Then help others find us by leaving a review, giving us a five-star rating, and sharing this podcast with your friends and family. You can also support us in this ministry. Just go to davedeselministries.org and click on the Donate button. Dave DeSel Ministries offers resources for everyday pastors so they can equip the everyday people they lead to become everyday disciples. One of the ways we do that is through the Everyday Pastor blog. In each post, Dave offers practical insight and personal experience born of over 40 years of pastoral leadership. This blog covers topics everyday pastors and leaders need to strengthen their skills, sharpen their vision, and care for their souls. You can find the Everyday Pastor blog on our website, davedisellministries.org. Now let's return to Dave as he wraps up this series, Fear Not.
1: Third, back in Luke again, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we come to an interesting group of individuals, the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what they'd what had been told of them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This one was a bit tougher as I studied this. I thought, So what were they afraid of? Well, for one thing, they had a lot more than one angel. That could be a little scary. But what else could they be afraid of? It would help before I give you the phrase to recognize what shepherds were. Many of us guys, probably when we were kids, we were in Christmas plays, and there could only be one Joseph, and there were only going to be a couple angels. But they didn't lack for shepherds, right? Three wise men, and so most of how many of you were at least once a shepherd when you were growing up? Yeah. My guess is you wore a mom's scarf, and you had a staff, and you wore a bathrobe, and you were a shepherd, one of hundreds of shepherds in the thing. The thing is, shepherds today are cute. In that day and age, shepherds were not cute at all. Shepherds were like cowboys. You know, you come near that sheep, partner, and you're going to get one between the eyes. You know, these are shepherds were rough and tumble, and shepherds were considered the dregs of society. Why? They were uneducated. They were unsophisticated because they were transient. They had to keep moving. Beyond that, because they dealt with animals, they were unclean ceremonially. But since they weren't near a synagogue, often they could not, or the temple, they could not get cleansed. They were the least, they were the last. They were verbally abused, they were highly marginalized, which is what makes it striking. Why did the angels come to the shepherds first? Why not shopkeepers? Why not farmers? Why shepherds? Because if anybody needed good news, it was shepherds. If anybody needed to think that maybe, just maybe, things could be different, it was shepherds. But their fear was this. Things will never change. It'll never change for us. No one wanted to be a shepherd. You didn't say, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Fathers pass it on to their sons. It was a reputation by default. But for them, things would never change. They would never know respect, they would never know dignity, they would never know acceptance. Things would never change. So when giving them this message, God's giving a point. The Savior has not come for those who are neat and tidy. He's come for those who are in the margins. And the message is this: You can change, or better put, you can be changed. You can be given dignity, you can be given a new identity, you can be given hope. See, some of you in this room, I think, can identify with shepherds because you've never measured up your whole life. You weren't smart enough, you weren't attractive enough, you weren't talented enough, you didn't have enough money, you've never measured up. And the fact that the angel came to those shepherds said, this is for you you can say, then this is for me. Maybe, just maybe, there is hope for me, and I can change. Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Each of them experienced fear. This is too big for me. What will people think? Things can never change. If I was to ask you, which one of these would you identify with? As you look at your, life, did you get them all written down? As you look at your life, which one of these you would say that? That's probably me. I'm facing something right now that is just too big for me. I mean, humanly speaking, I don't think I can do it. Or maybe you're with Joseph, and you say, "I, I I know what I'm supposed to do, but what will people think if I do it? What will my boyfriend think? What will my neighbor think? What would my work associate think if I start changing my behavior? Or maybe it's with the shepherds. Things can never change for you. What if maybe, just maybe, with the coming of Jesus, they could? What's striking to me is all three of these individuals had a same response that led them to get beyond their fear. Here was the first one. Each one of them came to a point of surrender. A point of surrender. What they surrender? They surrendered the lie that was behind the fear. I can't do this. It's too big for me. That's the lie. You have to surrender it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. What will people think? Surrender that lie. Rather, how about this truth? If God is for me, who could be against me? God is for me. Who can be against me? Things will never change for me. Things will never change for me. Rejecting that lie to say, I can be a new creation in Christ. And he accepts me. The one who comes to me, Jesus said, I will never cast out. Never. You've got room at my table. Secondly, they had to go to trust. They had to choose to trust. I'm going to trust that that truth really can change my life. I'm going to trust that God is big enough. God is powerful enough. I'm going to trust. I'm going to dare to trust. But third, I'm going to have to obey. I'm going to have to take a step. So what would Mary do? I loved her response. Do you think Mary understood the whole story? You're going to give birth to the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And she thought, now it makes sense. She didn't understand everything. But here's what she did. What did it say? Mary said, let it be to me as you have said what's she saying? I'll take one step. It just seems so big, but I'll take one step. What's your one step? I'm going to make the phone call. I'm going to send the resume. I'm going to tell that person no. I'm taking one step. Joseph, what will people think? Joseph, one step. He took Mary into his home to be his wife. I don't think he understood what all that would mean either. I think the tongue still wagged in Nazareth. I think he lost good business contacts. My guess is he lost his seat in the synagogue front row. But he took Mary to be his wife. One step. One step. What's your one step? What will people think? Take one step. The shepherds, what was their step? Let us go to Bethlehem and see. Let us go. Here's a thing. I read between the lines sometimes in the Bible. Do you think all the shepherds went to Bethlehem? I don't think so. One, practically speaking, somebody had to watch the sheep. But my guess is there were some who stood there and said, what are you doing? You're a shepherd for crying out loud. It'll never be any different for you. We're losers. We're misfits. We don't belong anywhere, much less with the Messiah. But some went and they took a step to Bethlehem. The result for all three of them, they were never the same. They were never the same. They discovered a relationship beyond their wildest dreams. And they discovered hope and they discovered peace, but they had to deal with their fear. So here's what I want us to do as we wrap this up. As you look at one of these, put a circle around the one that you identify with. Which one do you sense right now? If the Lord would put his Finger on this in here. This in here. It's too big for me. You know what that is, don't you? You know what that is. That's the one. I'm going to circle that one there. What will people think? That's that's mine. Circle it. Circle Joseph. Things never change. Circle the shepherds. Here's here's what I want you to do. Did Did you write the phrase in? Did you write the phrase in for each one? What I want you to do now is put an X through the phrase of the one you circled. What will people think? That's no longer going to rule me. It's too big for me. Uh -uh. That's no longer going to rule me. Things can never change. Mm -mm. That's not going to rule me. Moving beyond your fear, overcoming your fear, recognizing things will come your way. You'll hear these whispers throughout 2014. It's too big for you. What will people think? Things will never change for you. Recognize where they come from and hear the words of the angel. Fear not. The Messiah has come and all things are possible in him.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.com Dot org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.